Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The connection between emotional intelligence and unconscious bias. So check it out, y'all. I get to do work in both of these arenas. I'm an emotional intelligence practitioner, and I do a lot around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and unconscious bias is a key piece of that. And until yesterday, I had never really understood the opportunity and the way that these two things can play off of each other. So let me give you an example. And I've been doing work in both of these arenas for years. And so that I didn't get the connection until yesterday is both awesome and (laughs) kind of mind-blowing. So here's what I suddenly realized. One of the pillars of emotional intelligence is around decision-making and how we make decisions. And this is in the evolving that emotional intelligence went through from when it was originally created really as a self-discovery, self-help tool to how it's used a lot now in the world of work. And so these two additional pillars around decision-making and around stress management got added. And one of the skills around decision-making is reality testing. So we check our idea about something against reality. We check in with, okay, this is how I think this should go, or this is what I think we should do in this opportunity where we're making a decision. And we check ourselves against reality. And so how we do that is a key part of that skill. And if we are low in this arena and emotional intelligence, as opposed to our IQ, our EQ, our emotional quotient is something that can be developed over time. So it's very much like a muscle. We develop our muscles or (laughs) we don't, and we develop our emotional intelligence or we don't. And so reality testing is a muscle that can be developed. And if we haven't done much exercising with that muscle, if we have a low emotional quotient in that arena, what it means is that our decisions are going to be driven by our unconscious biases, that we're not going to remember 
to try and find other perspectives. We're not going to realize even that we're operating out of biases that we have in our unconscious. And I've talked about this before. You've heard me say this, and it remains to be true. Unconscious bias is not something we can get rid of. It's hardwired into our brain. It's how our brain sorts information. And the key with all the work that's being done around unconscious bias is just to get it out of our unconscious into our consciousness so that then we can make a decision about it. And so if we don't know if it just is in our unconsciousness and we don't know that that's how we're making decisions, then we don't know that we're supposed to be reality testing against the way that we see the world. Isn't that fascinating? And this brings me right to our guest for today. So Heather Polifka and I met, gosh, about three months ago when we were both on stages at the California HR convention. And when I heard Heather talking, I was like, oh my goodness, this is somebody who sees the world in a very similar way that I do. So I'm so excited that she is here with us today. She is the founder and CEO of two different companies that both in their own way seek to create a new norm of work where people thrive, where teams excel and companies are enlivened. And y'all, she knows what she is talking about. For 12 years, she served as a Fortune 6 organization's critical link between marketing and human resources to help them grow four times over to transform their culture, repair their reputation as a place to work, integrate 20 plus acquired businesses and localize their presence in culturally relevant ways. Today, what we are going to focus on is her startup organization, which is called Awesome People Leaders, and the impact of people leadership to the work experience. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I felt the same way, Janine. Like It was just mind-melding going on, and yet we both come at it at different angles, which I absolutely love. I eat that up. And I, I love where you're, where you started this off with, because one of the things that when, in the awesome people leader program, and I'll talk more about what makes it different than la la la. But one of the first things that we start with is brain science. And most people are like, that's not what I would have thought should be. It's literally module number two, because you know, we can't lead human beings if we don't understand how our own brains are working and how other people's brains are working. It's so vital in leadership and exactly what you're talking about when we're making decisions, part of it is understanding how our brains work. And then a big part of it is once we understand that our brains are trying to help us a ton, they're trying to go at the speed of life that we're working at. They're trying to keep us safe. 
And sometimes they try to help us out and take shortcuts, but not so helpful shortcuts, right? (laughs) When it's unconscious bias, because it's just trying to help us get there more quickly. So one of the key practices is first understanding, but then just slowing our thinking down just enough, like a nanosecond, because even that check for reality, there's a form of unconscious bias. And I know you know this, but For our listeners, there's a form of unconscious bias, which is you seek out resources that will validate your point of view. So we even need to slow down enough that when we're checking reality, are we checking like a shared reality or just the reality I want to live inside of? (laughs) That's right. Are we checking in our own bubble or are we getting outside of our bubble to actually check reality versus just the people that we usually listen to or the voices that we usually listen to or the perspectives, as you were saying, the perspectives that validate what we want to hear. Or if you've got a low EQ around reality testing, what we're often doing is we are seeing the world as we would like it to be and not really as it is. So if we've got people around us and We are at a moment in time when, unfortunately, so many of the voices that people are listening to are people that reaffirm their own thinking about things. And so finding ways to get outside of our own thought group, which isn't necessarily saying if you're a political lefty that you're going to go listen to Fox or that if you or a political righty, you're going to go listen to MSNBC. No, but you can get on the interwebs and you, as a friend of mine calls it, and you can check and you can, or you can pick up a book or you can go to the library, or you can just talk to people who are different than you, who have a different lived experience than you and check out like, okay, here's what I'm thinking about something. What do y'all think about that? Yeah. I've got a great app and we can send out follow-up. It actually curates stories, the same story. Like let's say the weather where I'm at today, just it curates it from various news sources that run the spectrum. So you can see how the same story is being represented right, middle, left, internationally versus domestic. So in a snapshot, you can get a sense of how it's being represented and then apply the critical thinking to come to your own conclusions. That's amazing. So what is that resource? I know. I was just looking for this (laughs) because I get the alerts and I just read the alerts so I don't go into it, right? I'm lazy that way. (laughs) And as we say in Massachusetts, which is where I grew up, so aren't we all. We are all looking for shortcuts. We are all looking for fast ways to do things. You know, you and I have talked about, I am a woman who has struggled with my weight my whole life. And man, if there were like a pill that came out tomorrow that would magically deal with this situation for me, I would take it. People will come to me and they'll say, oh my goodness, we need to do something around. So I'm working with a client right now who originally came to me And they said they had heard me talk actually at that same conference in Anaheim. And they said, oh, we need to do something around conscious leadership. And we would love to hire you and work with you. We love the way that you talk and present things. So we started having conversations. And then the director of HR said, okay, so 
my boss thinks that we can get all this handled in half a day with $2,000. Oh, for the love of Pete. Right. And I just started laughing and I said, that's adorable that that's, that's what your boss thinks, because that's actually we all want a fast solution that's going to solve the problem quickly. And then we get to get back to work or, you know, whatever it is that we are doing. And <laughs> the reality is that for them and for any organization that wants to take on something meaningful, it's going to take resources. Yes. It's ground news, by the way. It's called what? Ground news, like on the ground, ground news. Ground so news. You pull up a story and it'll say, it'll show you a kind of a spectrum of how it's being represented, like right, left, center. And I just think it's a great way for all of us to check ourselves and at the very least seek to understand different points of view. Even if you go, there's no way I could ever agree on the same like outcome or decision or whatever, but it seek to understand where someone's coming from and what might have led them to that outcome or decision. I just think it would empower all of us a lot. <laughs> I, I love it that that resource exists. So ground news, ground news that there will be a link to them in our show notes. And part of what I love about this is when we can really understand somebody else's position, obviously empathy, when we can feel with somebody else, it's much harder to cast them as the devil, as unthinking, as, well, that's just those people, as less than human, as all of the ways in which we put people in boxes as the other. So being able to see, I can't get over what a brilliant idea this is, being able to see the same story being presented from these different perspectives, it helps us understand like, well, how is it that somebody who is not like me could have such a different thinking about something? Well, when you see the news that they are getting, when you see the information that they are getting filtered through this different way, I remember when Steven Spielberg re-released or you know redid West Side Story. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. And it's beautiful. Aesthetically, it's amazing. And one of the many things I enjoyed about it, and I grew up hearing that music, and so that was fun. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about it is it's exactly the same story, but told through a more modern lens, even though it's still happening in the past. And one of the things that was so revealing to me in watching it is how folks, whether they were the Jets or the Sharks, had their reality so shaped by what was happening in their environment. And you could really understand their perspective. You could really understand like, okay, so nobody's bad. Nobody's misbehaving. I mean, everybody's misbehaving, but nobody is coming at it from a place of trying to be evil or trying to do the wrong thing. They are all products of their environment. And when we can see people like that, 
when we can understand the things that have molded them that are connecting in their brains, once we can understand what's happening in their brain and what that is being formed by, it helps us make a much more nuanced assessment and an ability to really connect with them as a human. Yeah. I think of this also, like how this goes to the workplace. I am an adamant believer. No one wants to show up to work and suck. (laughs) No one. No one. Nobody. Your family, your friends doing other things that you would like more. So I adamantly, and yes, there might be that one in 100 Right. Exception, but really no one wants to. It's just a jackass. But basically, right, 99 out of 100 people do not want to show up to work and suck. We want to show up to work and be effective and be awesome. Yeah. And so I'm going to use that to get us right into awesome people leaders. Yeah. Well, and I think about how this shows up as, as leaders. Like we need leaders. It can be easy as a leader. Like if I have a particular style or I see things a certain way, maybe I'm a driver and a fast decision maker. I've got high expectations and I don't really understand the person on my team who always wants to chit chat. We need to get to work. (laughs) We need to get things done. We need to get things done. And so I may devalue their contribution. Because they're not like me. They don't function and go about work the same way I go about work. Because, of course, the way we do things is always the best way. It's always the right way. Always the best way. Right. And so I may devalue that, not seeing that, oh, this is someone who connects with people. This is someone who builds relatedness. And by the way, nothing ever got done or ever got sold or ever got built or ever got made without relatedness. Like, I don't care. You might have an idea. But you need other people to buy into that idea. And part of them buying into that idea is buying into you. So there has to be relatedness. So this is where it comes into the workplace where I actually, like, I think it can be easy for us to see outside of work in the political landscape. It's more obvious how they're not like me shows up versus in the workplace. It can actually be quite nefarious because it's so subtle and kind of under the radar. And if I, as a leader have not, if I'm not aware of brain science, if I haven't done my own work to pause and reflect on my own thinking and the shortcuts my brain is trying to take and why I might be instantly connecting to someone is because they are like me, but that doesn't mean like the last thing you know, I'll use this example. The last thing I need in my marriage is more of me. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. Amen. (laughs) You know, we need those counterbalances. And in fact, and I know there's so many studies have shown that we have more diverse perspectives and experiences and skills at the table. We produce better outcomes that drive actually better productivity, better innovation, more profitability, et cetera, et cetera. But the danger is that we don't slow down our thinking. And so we don't create workplaces that not only allow, but more importantly, encourage and you like almost hunger for the variety of perspectives and skills and strengths. And so we create places where people keep leaving and we wonder why. I mean, one in four new hires in 2021 left their jobs. They're new hires. 
So clearly, a company spent a lot of money to recruit them, to onboard them, to train them. And the person changed their lives to go and onboard with the new company, right? Their computer, their things, maybe they commuted. And then yep. they went, mm, nope, I'm out of here. Yep. Right? Neither party wins in that, that instance. Yeah. And it's true that there's something, some expectation, either that was set by the company or that was expected on the part of talent or probably both. <laughs> right. The reality is often somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. And those expectations weren't met. And they were met to such an extent that it was just easier to part ways than to try to work through that gulf. So I think it's those really nefarious ways that this shows up in our places of work in terms of there's such a fast pace going on. So I get it because I've been a leader in a large global organization and you're doing probably more than one job. And that one job was never a 40 hour a week job. (laughs) (laughs) So you have this pressure and the sense of needing to move fast. So I get that reality. And yet in those moments, it's in those moments that you have either create a sense of belonging and inclusion. And I would say having people feel known and seen and valued, but it's also in those moments that you can destroy all of that. And that's where I think both the emotional intelligence and unconscious bias, really it's about the discipline of slowing down our thinking. And by slowing down, I'm not saying we got to take 30 minute coffee break. But slowing down enough that we're running our brains in a sense, the brain isn't running us. Right. If I am that kind of driven type A, get things done, get them done fast, get them done my way, usually manager, and I haven't done the work. And then I have this employee who wants to chit chat and wants to connect. And that's how you actually get the best from her or him or they is by connecting. And I don't get that. And I keep trying to force or encourage or drive them. A, I'm going to burn them out and they're going to leave. And B, I'm also creating a self-fulfilling prophecy that they are not awesome. Because again, in the world of brain science, Our brain now, my brain, I am the type A manager, and my brain expects you to need my time and need my attention. And I think that that's bullshit. And so I don't give it to you. And then you underperform because you don't feel connected to me. And then my brain says, see, Heather is a problem. And then I ask you for something else and you want to connect and I don't get it. And so it goes and it just keeps going that way. And I am doing, I am actively participating in having you suck, but I don't see it because I haven't understood any of this. So folks are out there and they're listening to us talk and they're like, okay, crap, this is me or this is my team or this is my organization. And I would love some resources around this. Tell me about Awesome People Leaders and how that can help. Yeah, well, Awesome People Leaders, here's what makes Awesome People Leaders distinct is a couple of things. First of all, we use all micro lessons. So all of our lessons and modules are 10 to 15 minutes max. 
And yeah, hey, isn't that great with the fast pace of business? But more importantly, if it's with how our brains function. Right. <laughs> As adults, our brains can only consume so much information without a break. Exactly. It's the reason that if I'm really intensely working on something, I might then need to take a break and pick up my phone and play a game and then come back because our brains need a break. And so I love it that you've created these as little bite-sized pieces, both because it's easy in the fast-paced world of work, but more important, it's how we consume information the best and how it sticks. Exactly. You're so smart. Yay! We also <laughs> have it formatted because there's different kinds of learners. So we have video, we have a handout, and even the handout is more with how people consume content these days. It's more scannable. It's highly visual. It's not like a white paper dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another thing that makes it different. But we combine this. So this is all available online and People can guide themselves. There is an order, but we don't force the order because we want people to go to the module they need when they need it. But this online portion is then married with this high-touch support via a private online community and monthly calls by experienced business leaders who also understand HR best practices and brain science. It's like, this is in the real world. So we talk about things like, okay, no matter how much it's valid that you need to let someone go, I have shared with participants, I generally get a horrible night's sleep the night before. I can't eat in the morning. In fact, I can't eat until after it's been done. And then I still feel nauseous. And I really just want to end my day because I'm so emotionally burned out. That's even someone who, by all accounts... <laughs> so I was 100% validated in needing to let them go. There is an emotional cost to us as leaders when we have to make those tough calls. But we don't talk about that with leaders. We don't talk about it. And so for them to know, oh, so it's okay. This is I'm normal trying. and okay. Right. Yeah. So we talk and they get answers within one business day. So they have live resources because oftentimes people don't feel comfortable going to their own boss because- right. Quite frankly, maybe their own boss wasn't trained, <laughs> <laughs> right? But also their own boss is really busy or they don't want to look stupid or, you know, many, many reasons. We marry this online, but with this high touch support and the micro lessons. And that's really what makes us different. And then the last thing I'll point out is our program is for a full year. Wow. We do a full business cycle because... There, think about your business cycle. There are different times when you're doing reviews and you're doing budgeting, those things that you interact with as a leader, but also how you lead in your first three months of being a people leader is very, what you can absorb and what you can hear is very different in your first three months than in months nine through 12. And we want to be there to really give a strong foundation before we push them out of the nest, so to speak. <laughs> I love that. I love that you're taking this really deliberative approach. And so if somebody is an individual practitioner or they're with a Fortune 10 company, sort of a whole gamut 
of that. Are there ways for individual practitioners to plug into Awesome People Leaders? And what's the way for a big organization to plug in? Yeah, well, I will say this. We won't say no to a big organization, but we actually designed this for businesses with a thousand employees or less. Oh, wow. Nice. Here's why. And I'm going to get myself in trouble here. So I know you're going to like when I say that, I know you go, oh, good. <laughs> Large organizations have learning management systems. Yes. And they're very attached to learning management systems. Yes. <laughs> the problem is most employees have very little attachment to learning management systems. Like there's a big fight to get people to go into the learning management system because it's not in the flow of their work. It's a separate system, all the things. We are intentionally, nor is it ever on our roadmap to be set up to work within a learning management system. And there's two reasons for that. One, we would have to dumb down the experience too much to work effectively inside of learning management system. And I'm more committed to providing value than I am to that. Yep. And then um, secondly, I want it to be in the flow of work. So we do our notifications via email, text, and Teams messages. Uh And we're working on how we can embed this in Teams, embed this in Slack. So it's more in the flow of work because that's when and where we need it not a separate system somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. So we designed this to be a solution for individuals and companies up to a thousand. Again, won't say no. But you're not going to figure out how to be part of the monster energy system, learning system for their people. Yeah, because I know having been inside, yep. I know those systems don't really work. They mm-hmm. don't work for the learner. They work for the company to be able to track and provide really great reports on what they think the ROI is. But if you ask the average employee, how much have you ever used? Only when it's required and they won't, (laughs) you know, they get the warning that you must. You're out of compliance. You have to take your right. Yeah. And that's also primarily for desktop. The other thing with our program is that we can be used on the device of your choice. And that is because we want to meet people where they're at and when they have time and when a few minutes to sit down and go, Hey, I, and now I'm in a space, maybe I'm at the coffee shop. I'm in a space where my brain could process 10 minutes of content. So I'm going to do it on my mobile phone right here. So yes, what I love is that a lot of our, we are obviously reaching out to companies directly, but we've had quite a few companies where it was an individual within their company that signed up. So you go to awesomepeopleleaders.com and you can sign yourself up. And in fact, I have a company right now that they just expanded because their manager kept going, where are you getting these tools? (laughs) Awesome status document. Oh, you're bringing me a development plan? Like all these things. And their manager got so intrigued that then the company wanted to have a call with us because they could see immediate impact, the immediate tools, because we're all about it being practical and actionable. And people see the value in that right away. So we've had a number of companies that have come to us because individuals signed up. Yeah. It's the best business model when you have individual practitioners inside of your company, frontline people or you know individual contributors who have heard on the podcast today about this tool. And they're like, oh, that sounds great. All right. I'm going to go check it out. Doesn't cost an arm and a leg and a baby calf. <laughs> 
then I'm, I'm in. And then I start showing up different and I've got new tools and I've got new resources. And then my boss gets curious and then maybe her boss gets curious and then maybe their manager. And so on and on, it has an opportunity to go. You know what I loved about the boss of this person who signed themselves up when we got on and we did a a Zoom call, the boss admitted, and this is validated by studies, that they had been leading people for 10 years and they could count on one hand the number of hours of people leadership training that they had had. And so they were like, when I saw some of these tools, I have to admit, I was a little jealous. I wish I had these tools. And I loved that vulnerability because we need more of that in leadership. For too long, we've thought leadership is this one model of command and control and top down and valuing technical skills and productivity versus what's called for now in our world is a very people-centric model and an emotionally intelligent model. And when we keep talking about burnout, which we should talk about burnout, But we're not spending enough time talking about the skills we all need to learn as individuals and more importantly, even more importantly, as leaders, emotionally intelligent, people-centric skills that will actually have us not burn people out or say, like, this doesn't work and here's why to our management. Like, no, we can't do three jobs with one person, that's not going to work. It's going right. to cost us money in the long run because when we lose them, then we're going to have to go and hire and retain and train and all the things. And it's interesting because awesome people leaders, you know, we were participating in a pitch competition because mm-hmm. we're a startup. Yep. One of the judges is like, well, but how long is this whole trend of people moving jobs going to go on? This is where, Janine, I was so glad we met because one of the stats I remembered from yours is that your presentation, which I was so bold over by, was that Gen Z and millennials will make up 64% of the workforce in 2025. Right. And I, so I sent this back to the judge. I go, and here's the thing. Millennials and Gen Z have higher expectations for their companies and their leaders, and they have lower tolerance for toxic work environments and for leaders who don't know what the heck they're doing (laughs) and who aren't bringing that sort of people-centric leadership style. While there may be the trend of turnover will slow, if an organization is going to future-proof itself for the workforce, this is the kind of the people-centric leadership style is the kind that will have them thrive leading into the future. And I mean, I think one of the things that's so interesting about the shifts that are happening in the world of work, largely driven by the younger generations who, as you said, they are already the majority and they will, that will just continue. And so if we haven't gotten on board with the things that those generations care about, yesterday is the time, but if you didn't do it then, the time is now. Yeah. And they are our children. So I am now in my, well, I'm 57. I was about to say I'm in my late 50s. And then I was like, wait, is that right? Am I still in my mid 50s? <laughs> I'm 57. And so the millennials, the younger the mid millennials, I mean, the oldest millennials are now 41. I mean, isn't that amazing? The yeah. oldest millennials are now 41. The mid millennials, those are my children in their 30s. And so 
they grew up watching us. I grew up watching my dad. My dad was at the same company for almost his entire career. Something catastrophic happened at the end, towards the end of his career, and he actually needed to leave and go to a different company. But he was at the same company for almost 30 years. So that's what I thought was normal. And so when I came into the world of work, I mean, the reality is I spent my whole career until I started my own business and I still have the idea about my business. Well, this is what I will do until I retire. And of course, who knows? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But I was always looking for where's that company that I'm going to spend my whole career with? I never found it. I mean, I was with some places for close to a decade and my kids saw that with me. There were some places I was for a year. In general, I was most places for five or six years, a few for longer. So then their assumptions are, well, people don't stay in the same place forever. And because they marry that with a very low tolerance for uh, bullshit in the workplace, then our expectations of them should not be. I mean, I remember when I was hiring, I wouldn't hire somebody who had job jumped and been at lots of places for 18 months or two years. That is typical now with this generation. And yeah, occasionally they find someplace that they really like and they're there for three or four or five years. But that's sort of often, of course, in any generation, there are, you know, there are many, many exceptions to the rule. Yes. But in general, like that's the way that they think about work. And so our opportunity to get them retained is all about connection. It's It's all all about them feeling like they belong and they matter and they have a voice. That is the only thing that's going to keep them around. They grew up also seeing the generation ahead of them work really, really hard because that's what we thought. Like, I'll work really hard and they'll move the ladder and then have the rug pulled out from under them with layoffs, with just And they're like, oh, so when push comes to shove, there is no loyalty here. I have the company to the employee and I've watched my parents or my aunties or uncles or whatever give up a lot for that company and to not have it paid off in return. So there's also a certain amount of, okay, well, I'm not going to expect loyalty. Neither do companies get to expect loyalty Loyalty. from me. Exactly. And that's where being known and seen and heard is so important. And I also just go the world. And I think a lot of Gen X is a bit jealous. Like, I wish I would have had that lesson another 10, 20 years earlier in my career. (laughs) But thank you, Gen Z and millennials for finally like being the tipping point that said we don't have to put up with toxic workplaces. And then we just think about what we've all been through and are continuing to go through with the global pandemic. There is layers and layers upon layers of unprocessed grief and trauma, et cetera, which is also contributing to the burnout. And we lack most people leaders having foundational people skills being able to help lead through that. And that's the other reason why there's a lot of struggle. The solution is not push harder. (laughs) That's not the solution. Right. And so many of us, because of how we're wired or how we grew up or our parents or whatever, 
we think we should be able to just power through it. And as you were pointing to with everything that we have been dealing with collectively over the last several years, from the global pandemic to the murder of George Floyd, to reckoning around race and identity, to the schisms that have happened between the left and the right and the vitriol around it and the dehumanization and the isolation because of the pandemic. And like I said, I have a cold and my first thought was, do I have COVID? And that level of constant fear and concern and worry takes a huge toll on our bodies because of how our brains are wired. It's just, it's all back to brain science. Our brains hate uncertainty. Yes. And we are living, we are swimming in a world of uncertainty. Getting to work with an organization right now who's been through an enormous amount of organizational change. Their organization moved. They hired a new CEO. The CEO changed the organizational structure in some fundamental ways. And I was talking with a vice president who... He himself is a very type A person. And as we were talking, I was saying burnout is a national epidemic right now. There's a number of really good books that have come out recently around burnout and because it is a national epidemic. And I said, you know, if you think about yourself and that concept of burnout, where would you put yourself? on the risk, 10 being, ooh, I'm in trouble, one being, I'm totally fine. He's like, I'm probably an 11. I was like, okay, good. Great realization, great self-understanding. So let's have a conversation about what we get to do about that now, that you've realized that and how we get to recover yourself. There's been so much about resilience, really equating it with grit and like, churning through it. And you and I know this is a bullshit strategy. Grit is not going to get us through this. Recovery, which is a key component of resilience. My mentor, Adam Markle, who will be on the show soon, is leading authority in the world of resilience. And a lot of what he talks about is recovery. And so how do we begin to recover you to yourself so that you can continue to be a leader in this organization and in the movement. He's part of the Native American world. He's from a Native American tribe and doing a lot in that world. And like, dude, you're up to big stuff. Right. So how do we help ensure your longevity so that you don't burn out? And I love it that that's part of what your goal with Awesome People Leaders is, is to help people understand themselves, get these skills, because as you said, most leaders have never been trained at all. And many leaders are drastically undertrained. And so that this is a place where people can go to get this training and support in super bite-sized pieces, which is how we learn as adults. I just love what you're up to. Thank you. You know, I will say I love it too. It's not a path I expected to go down. It was one that 
my clients kept requesting, but I will tell you every time I see that light bulb go on with a people leader and I know they're going back and their impact is to their team, to their boss, to their peers, I will tell you that fuels me and brings me joy and makes me really, really excited and like hungry for that next light bulb. I love it. Okay. So as we start moving towards wrapping up for today, I want to give you the opportunity. If there was something that you really wanted to share about today that we haven't had a chance to touch on yet, or if not, if we've done such an amazing job, then where you would love to leave people today. I want to give you an opportunity to share from that. Yeah. I think we've talked about awesome people leaders and people can learn more on the website and I'd love for them to reach out to me because there's nothing I love talking about more. (laughs) So how can people reach out to you? Oh yeah. Well, you can go to awesomepeopleleaders.com and there's actually a button up in the corner that you can set up time with me and demo it. And with the demo, we'll have a chance to have a, have a chat. So you can do that. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Those are probably the two best ways. Excellent. So both of those will be in our show notes, how you can find Heather on LinkedIn and links to awesome people leaders. Yes. So here's where I'd want to leave people is first of all, be gentle with yourself, slow down, even just a nanosecond. And remember that everyone else is just doing the best they can. You and everyone else. We're Mm -hmm. all just doing the best that we can. Exactly. And nobody has the plan to suck. So how can we continue to lift everybody else up? Heather, thank you so much for being with us here today, for sharing from your wisdom and your brilliance for all that you do to lift up me and all of the other people in your life, both through your organizations, as well as through awesome people leaders. And thank you for seeing this gap. Thank you for realizing that this was something that needed to be done and stepping into that and sharing of your brilliance. I mean, it takes a long time to develop all of the content that you've created. And so I really want to appreciate and acknowledge you for bringing this to fruition and bringing it into the world. It is so needed. So thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Awesome. So I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I need a political
my mind. 